How many times have you heard or seen, maybe even said yourself in some way, don't judge me, don't judge me. We are in a culture that's inundated with that, that phrase or that mindset. Everybody wants kind of like uh, Planet Fitness, the no judgment zone. And you go into Planet Fitness, it's there on the wall, no judgment zone. Well, we live in a no judgment culture when it suits them, when it suits culture to not be judged, then yeah, that's what everybody wants, as, as long as it's on, on their terms. You do you, I'll do me, I won't judge you if I don't think you're judging me, right? That's, that's the mindset, the attitude that's pervasive all through every aspect of culture and society. And as we continue on in our, our current series, which we began just last week, Keep It in Context, where we're looking at passages of Scripture, verses of Scripture that are often frequently taken out of context, misapplied to suit personal preference and opinion, we're going to be talking about this concept and this aspect of, of never judging, not being judgmental. And there is, of course, a passage of Scripture, and especially one verse that people use all the time. This is one of the most common verses or passages of Scripture that are taken out of context. It may even be the most common, the most misused uh, of all the ones we're going to look at. And that comes from Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Really, the whole passage gets frequently taken out of context, but especially the first verse, especially Matthew 7, 1. Here's what Matthew 7, 1 says. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 together. Verse 1, Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. That's the one that people really zero in on. Then verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So these verses, along with the others in the passage, down to verse 5, again though, especially verse 1, I mean, it's just zeroed in on, lifted up as the reason for saying, you shouldn't judge, don't judge. Or even as a Christian, when maybe you have said, oh, I know that there's some questionable actions, questionable lifestyle going on in this person, but who am I to judge? I can't judge. I mean, after all, you know, Jesus said, judge not. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Come on, show of hands, how many times? I mean, everybody heard that, right? Many, many, many times, multiple times. Judge not that you be not judged, and that the card is pulled, the no judgment card. But my question to you for all of us today is this. Is Jesus really saying not to make any judgments about anyone or anything ever? Is that really what he's saying in this passage? These are Christ's words. He's talking to lots of people, his followers and others that were around him. This is all part of the Sermon on the Mount. And is that really what he was trying to get across and what he was really trying to teach? I mean, if, if that's true, if Jesus is really saying, don't ever judge anyone, don't ever judge anything, ever, well, then we might as well just do whatever we want 
without any consequence or, or any fear of being judged by one another or by even our civil courts or, or anything. I mean, go ahead, steal. Steal all you want. You might have a good reason for it. And, and you know, judge not that you be not judged. Don't, don't judge if you don't understand the reason why the action happened. Don't ever judge someone that steals. Don't ever judge any lie that someone is caught in. There's just no end if you take this to the completion. Whatever you want to do, do it. There's no need really to have laws. There's no need to have any stipulation. I mean, this affects our morality. This affects government. This affects every aspect of our life if we take this to completion. There's obvious sin that completely contradicts the Word of God. Well, judge not that you be not judged. For, you know, with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. The measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Well, listen, that can't be right, right? That can't be what Jesus is saying. That can't be what his point was. Because later in this very chapter, Matthew 7, he calls his followers to make a judgment about people. Specifically, people that are false prophets. He calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. Sounds like a judgment to me. What about you? He says, based on their actions and their lifestyles, you can discern and judge between what is a genuine teacher of God's Word, a genuine follower of Christ, one that's going to lead you closer to Him, and a false teacher or a false prophet. He said, you will know them by their fruit. So discerning actions, discerning uh, not just what you hear, but what you see, that's a judgment. And it's one that Jesus instructed his followers, those there with him at the time of this teaching, and us today, all of his followers, to make these kind of judgments. That's verses 15 through 20, by the way, of Matthew 7. And it's not limited even to Jesus. This is this concept of making necessary judgments, something that the Apostle Paul also really, really emphasized with his pastoral protégés, Timothy and Titus. He told Timothy and Titus to be constantly on guard because there will be false teaching. There will be false doctrine. People will cling to error rather than truth. They will surround themselves with the teachers that they want that will give them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. They'll just have their itching ears scratched and tickled. That's what they'll be looking for. He told Titus that there are false teachers present in the church. That's why he put Titus there in Crete, and he wanted him to silence those that were promoting false doctrine. Silence the false teachers. He said they're destroying entire families. Don't let this happen. Don't let this go. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul draws emphasis and focus on the Corinthian church, and he said there's some serious sin going on, and it's the kind of sin that even really bad people don't do. He said you've got a guy in your church who is having an affair with his stepmother, and rather than calling him out and rebuking him, you're actually even kind of like applauding it. He said this shouldn't happen. He said, when you gather together, where's the judgment on this sin? And he says, tell you what, I'll I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm making judgment for you. Get this guy out of your church so that God can deal with him without him infecting the rest of your church with his sin and his compromise. 
the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus himself, over and over, with the exception of two churches, rebukes every single church and judges them and calls the leaders of those local churches to make the necessary judgments on compromise in those churches, sin that's left undealt with. So, judgment, 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 necessary judgment. In Luke 17, Jesus, again, directly, warns his disciples about the danger of temptation and the severe consequences for causing someone else to stumble and fall into sin. And in verse 3 of that chapter, Jesus clearly calls us to make judgment about obvious sin in our brother's life while, while also standing ready to forgive and restore them if they repent from it. Luke 17.3, Jesus says this, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Judge him. And if he repents, forgive him. So, Jesus is not saying, don't ever judge. In fact, quite the opposite. He's saying judgments are going to have to be made. And the goal and the purpose of every judgment in the church, the goal is repentance and restoration. But you're not going to have repentance or restoration if a judgment on that sin isn't made. Do you agree with that? I mean, you've got to call out sin if the sinner has any hope of acknowledging that sin and turning from it in repentance and being restored. So judgment has to happen in many different cases. So with, with that in mind, with, with saying all that and, and me bringing up those other examples, what does all that let us know about Matthew 7, 1 through 2? How does that help to correct the way this passage gets so often misapplied and used as that no judgment card to justify sinful, selfish actions, to justify doing whatever we want, to justify compromise. Well, it tells us that Jesus didn't tell us not to judge what's wrong. He told us to judge what's wrong the right way. That's what this tells us, and that's really what is at the heart of this passage. Jesus didn't tell us not to judge what's wrong. He told us to judge what's wrong the right way. A man was driving home late one night when he picked up a hitchhiker. And as they rode along in the growing awkwardness, which if you've ever done that, you know is a real thing, that growing awkwardness, so in the growing awkwardness, he began to be a little suspicious of his passenger. You know, he kept looking over and kind of watching him. And, and he started to rethink his decision to pick up this hitchhiker. So instinctively, he checked to see if his wallet was safe in the pocket of his coat that was on the seat between them in the console there. But it wasn't there. No wallet. So immediately he slams on the brakes and harshly says, give me the wallet and then get out right now. And the hitchhiker, startled and scared, handed over the wallet and the man sped away. When he arrived home, he started to tell his wife about the experience. 
But she interrupted him and saying, oh, honey, before I forget, do you know that you left your wallet at home this morning? Ooh. See, judging based on assumptions rather than established facts, that's the wrong way. Wrong way to judge. Judging in a harsh rather than a humble way, that's the wrong way. Judging in a self-righteous or hypocritical way, the wrong way. So the question is not, should we, should we ever judge? Or is it that we should never, ever, ever judge? Is that what Jesus is saying? That's not the question. The question is, are we judging the right or the wrong way? And many times, if we're honest, we all would have to say, yeah, I've, I have definitely judged in the wrong way. There have been times where I've judged based on assumption and presumption rather than established objective fact. There's times where I've been way too harsh in my judgment. I've focused on the truth and speaking the truth, which we're all called to do, and what we see in Jesus himself and making judgment on truth which we should do, but if we're honest, we've had many times where we've forgotten the grace part of that to include, right? We've judged, judged, judged on the truth, but we haven't had very much grace in that speaking truth or in that judging in truth. And certainly, I think we could all say, yep, I have definitely been self-righteous at times. I've been hypocritical. I've judged people for the very thing I have myself done or struggled with. And that's really the overall context of Matthew 7. Keeping it in context, that's really what Matthew 7 is about. I already said just a minute ago, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And lots of specific focus was on the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount. Sure, Jesus was addressing his followers and teaching them, but he was also pointing a pretty big finger at the Pharisees that were present. Or, even if they weren't present, everybody knew about the Pharisees, knew all about their teaching, knew all about the way they did things. And I mean, so Jesus was really shining a light on the Pharisees and all they were about. Because the Pharisees, they were quick to condemn. They were quick to condemn others, but they were unwilling to admit their own faults and their own failures. They were constantly harsh and constantly hypocritical. And that... That is the core context of this passage and the core contrast Jesus is trying to make. He's not saying don't ever judge. He's saying don't judge the way the Pharisees so often judge because it's the wrong way. I want you to have a contrast in the way you go about making necessary judgments from time to time and the way they do it. So we've already looked at verses 1 through 2. Now we're going to look at the following verses, which really just kind of unpack what Jesus is saying in the first two verses. So, verse 1, just to review. Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. The reason why he says that is what he says in verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, be careful. Don't go overboard. Don't step into that harsh or hypocritical category, it's going to come back to you. So as you make judgments, make sure you're making it the right way. Verse 3 goes further. Why do you see the speck 
that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? I mean, think about how humorous that would have sounded and think about how humorous that would look. I mean, imagine this person walking around with this huge plank of wood log sticking out of their eye. And I mean, can you do anything? Not really. I mean, imagine going to the eye doctor, the optometrist, and you know, you're sitting down, you're ready for your exam, and in comes the optometrist, and he's like this. I mean, imagine that eye test. Better one? Better two. I mean, no, of course not. He's not going to be able to see to do anything. How can he help your eye when he's got this very real problem with his own eye? So, of course, that's not going to work. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across. And I mean, this would have been a, a humorous example, but everybody would have immediately understood what he was saying. You can't help someone else with a small problem when you've got a really big problem that you need to deal with yourself. And what Jesus's point was in that humorous metaphor, and really his point in all of this, and elsewhere in Scripture, it bears witness to this truth as well. It's that we are all accountable to the absolute authority of God's Word. We're all accountable to the absolute authority of God's Word. Not one of us is exempt from everything that is in God's Word. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to exclude ourselves from certain things and say, oh, well, that's really meant for other people. That, that's not really applicable to me. I mean, after all, I've been saved a long time. I mean, after all, I, look, I'm a pastor. I mean, come on, that can't apply to me, right? No, every single human being is accountable to the absolute authority of God's Word. Not just the easy parts, not just the comfortable parts, not just the parts that build us up and make us feel really good. All of it, the whole counsel of God's Word. We're accountable to it. And it is the absolute and universal authority. That means every culture, every time, every demographic, everybody is accountable to the absolute authority and the timeless truth of God's Word. A man thought he had a really great eye for art. And when he and his wife went to a local art gallery with their friends, he was really looking forward to really impressing them. The man was nearsighted, and he could hardly see his hand in front of his face without his glasses. Unfortunately, he forgot his glasses as they went out to this art gallery. But he thought, eh, I can wing it. I know enough about art. I'm really good at seeing art and, and kind of dissecting it. So I think I can just wing it, make my comments, my observations. I'll still wow him. So he approached a frame, and he immediately began criticizing what he saw. Why would anyone want to paint something so hideously ugly? I mean, it's a true rendering of the object, I guess, but why waste time painting such a disgusting subject? Everyone was laughing by this time as his wife whispered into his ear, Honey, it's a mirror. See, mirrors don't lie. 
Mirrors don't lie at all. I mean, they often reveal what we wish that they wouldn't, right? They reveal what we wish they didn't reveal, but they don't lie. I mean, whatever it is, in front of the mirror, it's going to show it. And it's going to reflect back what it sees. And it's going to be objective. It's going to be truthful. That's how God's Word is. God's Word is very much a mirror. It's an unbiased, perfect mirror that accurately reveals who we really are. There's no getting around it. There's no getting away from it. It's going to reveal who we really are. When we open up God's Word, it's like we're standing in front of a mirror. And like it or not, it's going to show what there really is. And you're not going to be able to hide anything from it. It's going to reveal everything that you really are down to the core of your being, which is why so many people do everything they can to be away from it and to get out from under it. It's why so many people try to pick and choose. It's why so many times it's taken out of context because it reveals something you don't want to see. It reveals something painful. It reveals something ugly that needs to be dealt with. But rather than doing that, we have this, all of us, this natural tendency in our humanity, in our fallen humanity, to say, oh, I don't like that. Let me put a covering over that mirror really quick. And that's what we do when we take things out of context. But it doesn't just reveal who we really are. The mirror of God's Word, it also reveals to us who He really is. It reveals who He really is. And my friends, that is what we need to judge ourselves according to. We don't need to judge ourselves according to our own life. We don't need to judge ourselves according to other people around us to make us feel better. Oh, I'm really glad I'm not like them. I'm really glad I'm not like those people. Wow, they've got so much junk going on in their life. Wow, I feel pretty good. No, we judge ourselves according to that impartial standard, the impartial perfect standard of God's Word, the mirror of God's Word that really shows us who and what we are and really shows us who and what God is, all of His character, all of His attributes, and we compare ourselves against that. And we first judge ourselves according to that impartial standard. Then, then we apply that standard to others. Remember the log in the eye, the plank in the eye? Jesus goes on with that, verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then, duh, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And oh my goodness, are we bad at that. Are we, 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 come on, let's be honest. How often do we carry around a plank in our eye and yet at the same time try to point out everybody else's speck? We're pretty good at that, aren't we? You hypocrite, Jesus says. You're judging the wrong way. Take the log out of your own eye, then you can help your brother out. This makes me think of David in the Old Testament with the prophet Nathan when he came to him. 
you know, after he committed the sin with Bathsheba, he tried to cover it up. He wasn't dealing with it. Nathan told him a story about this rich man that had all these things, and there was a poor man that had this one lamb that was special to him. And rather than sacrificing or rather than cooking all the lambs that the rich man had, he actually went and stole the poor man's lamb, and he, he killed it and used it for a banquet. And it was just a terrible, terrible thing. And David, the shepherd king, who was definitely used to having sheep and getting close to those sheep and understanding how precious they can be. He flew into a rage and he said, where is this man? Who is he? I want him dead. He needs to die. He deserves to die for doing this. And Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. You're the king of Israel. You had everything already. And if that wasn't enough, God said he'd give you more. And yet you took your friend's wife You had him killed and you took her. You're the man. You're just like this horrible, unjust man in the story. And it's certainly not limited to David. I mean, how many times have we done the same thing in our life? I mean, have you ever, let's just get real here. Have you ever called out someone's profanity and at the same time you struggle with that as well or maybe uh, you've called out someone's profanity or corrected it on a movie or something that you're watching and then an hour later maybe a day later you end up saying the same kind of thing I mean that's pretty hypocritical right you ever call out someone's anger and bad attitude and then you exhibit it yourself how about driving you get really annoyed at someone's road rage or impatient driving, I can't believe how terrible they are at driving. And then you end up doing the same thing a little later. Or someone lays on the horn at you and you're like, well, come on, be a little bit patient. What's your hurry? And then not too long after that, beep, beep, right? So many different examples. You fill in the blank. We all can be very hypocritical. We all can have that log in our eye, but still try to correct the speck in everybody else's. That's judging the wrong way. See, what Jesus is saying in this passage and what we need to understand and seek to apply in our own lives is this. Judgment needs to start with me, myself, and I before it can pass to they, those, and them. We can't judge other people, really, until we are judging ourselves first. It's hypocritical to do it the other way around. So judgment needs to start with me, myself, and I before it can pass to they, those, and them. Jesus is not saying, don't ever judge. So get that out of your head. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there are times where judging needs to take place. But don't judge the wrong way and then expecting yourself to be judged the right way. Whatever measure you use to judge, how you judge others, it will return back to you. That's how you will be judged. So be careful, be cautious, be mindful. That's his point. That's his point. Don't judge in a harsh way. Don't judge in a presumptive or an assumptive manner. Don't judge in a really hostile, harsh way. Make sure that there's grace. Make sure that grace is covering the truth that you use. Remember that you, too, are accountable to that standard of God's Word, that objective, perfect, unbiased standard. 
Line your life up according to that standard. Look in the mirror of God's Word before you try to reflect that mirror to other people. Judgment needs to start with me, myself, and I before it can pass to they, those, and them. And like everything else, Christian, like everything else, we need God's help in this. To live this out the right way, to walk this out, to be people that judge the right way when that's necessary. To be people that aren't hypocritical in the way we judge, that aren't like the Pharisees. We need God's help in that. Because naturally, our default is going to be very pharisaical. That's how we naturally are going to operate. I wish it wasn't that way. Really do, but but that's kind of our default mode. And it's so, so easy to judge the wrong way, and it's so easy to to walk around with this in our eye and to be so used to it and so comfortable that we don't even realize it's there, and we just go about judging others with their speck. We've got to have a constant surrender to the Holy Spirit in this area of life, just like everything else. And we've got to have Him constantly be guiding and directing, and, and we've got to be bringing ourselves under His perfect judgment, where we say, like David... David said so many profound things through his psalms, and one of the best things he said in his prayer is, Search me, O God. Search me and know my thoughts. Test me. Judge me. See if there's anything in me that is contrary to you, out of alignment with you, offensive to you, And cleanse me and purify me from that. Then, he says, I will teach sinners your way. Then I will correct people. Then I will bring people to you. That's the right way. And that's the way we need to all be pursuing. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that it is unbiased objective. That's what we need. Thank you that as painful as it might be to look into it from time to time, it's so necessary and it's so life-giving. It's truly what we need all the time, every time. So help us to be faithful to look into your word and to come away with exactly what we needed to see and be shown. And then help us to apply your word Help us to apply by your Spirit all of your Word, every part. Not just the parts we like, not just the parts that are comfortable, all of it. And to apply it the right way. Help us when necessary to make judgments, but to make sure we follow again what you have clearly shown in your Word is the right way to judge. And especially, oh Father, by your Spirit, help us to make sure we are judging ourselves according to your perfect standard before we expect other people to be held to it. Thank you for being who you are, all that you are. Thank you for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.